right, if you'll turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, continuing through this book and our study of it. Um, I'm going to read the scripture this morning, and uh, as we're trying to get into the practice, I'm going to at the end say, this is the word of the Lord. You all will say, thanks be to God, just as a, a way of acknowledging the goodness of God's word to us, the goodness of his uh, revelation to his people, that he would send it to us and that we would have it in our possession, that we could hold it in our hands, uh, that we could have it with us everywhere we are, really, and that we can hide it in our hearts. Um, so let's hear God's word. Zephaniah chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do His commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray this morning. I thank you for Hans's prayer, and I pray that you would strengthen me, that you would, by your spirit, empower me to proclaim your word with truth and with grace, to proclaim it accurately. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I am weak and just a vessel, and so speak through me. And then, Lord, open hearts and minds. Unite our hearts to fear your name this morning and to respond appropriately to your word. Or do this for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. All right, what do you see when, or what, what do you think or what do you do when you see someone holding a sign, maybe downtown crowded street, that says the end is near? Or what do you do when you, when you drive down the highway and there's that billboard that basically says repent, turn, or burn in hell? Like, what, what do you do? I would be willing to bet that most people either ignore it or scoff at it. It seems a bit kooky, Maybe, maybe a little too radical. And for those who are believers in Christ, we probably tend to think, well, honestly, we probably tend to think very little about that. It just slides right by. Maybe there's an appreciation for the effort that, is, that the person is making because after all, it's a, it's a true message. But we might have this tendency to question the effectiveness of the approach. And it makes me wonder what a prophet like Zephaniah would have felt, how people would have perceived him and his message of impending doom in many ways, of the coming of the day of the Lord. His is not a message that people were, you know, paying money to hear, signing up, going, hey, tell us more about this. Most people don't enjoy or take well to someone calling out their sin and unfaithfulness to the Lord. We don't like that. But nonetheless, his message is important. 
And in our text this morning, picking up after Zephaniah has shared of this impending doom and, and the judgment for all to come, and honestly, not even all of that impending doom has he shared yet, there is a call. There's an admonition. There's an exhortation to hear before it is too late. You know, the prophets, particularly the minor prophets, I think, can be a fairly somber bunch of folks. And perhaps it's why we don't hear them preached a whole lot in the church today. But we really need to hear them. And what we have this morning is not somber, it's actually an act of God's divine grace, exhorting people to fall on His mercy and to come to Him humbly before it is too late. This passage just displays the character of God. And my prayer this morning is that not only would we hear the heart of Zephaniah's message, but that we would respond appropriately in our own context, that we'd pray and work to see the church live in the way of righteousness and humility, and that the church would actually be an influence on our nation not the nation such an influence on our church. So the first words of this chapter, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. Now the word that is translated here as gather has a, a root that comes from the idea of gathering together stubble, gathering together straw or sticks and things along those lines. And if you read another translation, it'll say gather together like stubble. And when you look down at verse 2, where it reads, before the day passes away like chaff, there's, there's a bit of a connection between this stubble, this, this worthless part, and this before the day passes away like chaff. The command that's being given to Judah is to gather themselves like chaff before the Lord, chaff that is seriously in danger of being blown away. It has no root. It has no weight. It has no strength in and of itself. Judah is nothing more than stubble, and they ought to be a people acknowledging their wickedness, their worthlessness. They're rightfully being objects of the anger of the Lord. Judah is in a perilous position. Now, this image helps to communicate to them, I think, as well, what's actually needed by them self-abasement, humility. Humility among a people and a nation that is overly self-confident. And you know what? Those who are most self-confident and haughty, they are the most ripe to be judged. We know from this book and really from history and from Scripture that pride is one of the sins most clearly condemned. You could move forward in this book to chapter 3, verse 11, but think of Proverbs 3, 34. Toward the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Toward the scorner or the proud. 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I, for one, do not want to be on the opposition side to God. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, along with this, this, this nation that is called to gather together, it's called a shameless nation. 
Judah is shameless. It is blinded to the gravity of its own sin, and it feels no shame for it. It commits the sin openly and flaunts it. Even in the midst of mass, massive guilt, Jeremiah 6.15, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. They knew what they were doing. They didn't care. There was not even a blush at the heinousness of their sin, at their guilt. You know what? Pursuing sin and staying with sin, it hardens the heart. Pride reinforces that hardness. Today, as a church, as a nation, as individuals, are we shameless when it comes to sin? Will we blush at sin? Or do we just take it in like it's no big deal? Or do we commit it too often like it's no big deal? Do we do we even think twice at things that are contrary to the holiness of God? Now, that shameless idea, I think it's, it's connected with his calling them the shameless nation. Can't get this in English very well, but the word that's translated for nation there is the Hebrew word goy, which is the word that is used more often to describe the pagan nations. Very rarely is it used to describe Israel, the people of God. See, God's people have lost their distinctive character. God's people, the, the, the national and religious identity that they were to have has faded because they as a people preferred to be like the nations around them and they conformed to the world. said this before, I think it was J.I. Packer who shared this, that the, the place of the church in the world is to be like a ship in the sea. But when the sea gets into the ship, the ship's in trouble. So the place of the church is to be in the world and to be there, but not to be influenced by the world. But where do we see this influence of the world and the church? I don't have time to go through it all. I'm just going to give you a couple of things here. I think sometimes this desire to be on the right side of history rather than on the right side of truth is a big one. Fighting more for our rights rather than serving and loving others is another. Pride, I just throw that out there. Pride or indifference to, to problems, to issues, to, to what people have, to, to, to people's hurt from the church even. Division taking up sides in the church and only listening to people in your own camp. Hey, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. Paul called that out in Corinthians. We can't be like that. Folks, in some places, the church is almost indistinguishable from the world around it. I recently saw a, an article that a church in Bloomington, Illinois, so of all places, right, they held a drag Sunday. And for those of you who know what that means, you ought to be appalled. 
And I think the name church should be removed from that building. And folks, there's so much more that we could say. Sin is very serious, and and, and being conformed to the world, losing the distinctiveness of the church is very serious. And so there then comes this threefold repetition of the word before. Unfortunately, the ESV here translates before in that second part of the verse, before the day passes away like chaff, where before is not there. It doesn't change the meaning at all, but it does change this parallelism with verse 3, where verse 3 uses seek three times. So I wish they would have, would have kind of left that alone, but this is what it says, and it conveys utter urgency by having this. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. That's when I wish the thunder would have hit right there, right? <laughs> the rain got stronger, but there was no thunder. I'm kind of, come on. So before the decree takes effect, the word decree here makes it very clear that this is the unchangeable will of God. This judgment upon Judah is coming. It is coming. That it is certain fixed. So the question that remains for the hearers is this, are you going to be safe or not? Will you be safe in this judgment? The time is short. Where will you fall? Will will your pride lead to your destruction? Or will you in humility first fall at the feet of the Lord and be safe and be hidden? And folks, this imagery of the day passing away like chaff, I think is best seen as referring to the short amount of time that is available for repentance. Hans read earlier in our call to worship from Psalm 95. I read it all because it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear him, don't harden your hearts. Turn and repent now. The day of repentance will quickly blow over and pass away like chaff, and the day of the Lord will be upon us. And at that point, folks, it is too late. Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. There's great seriousness to this. Don't just let this pass by. This is is the reality of judgment and hell, of separation from the blessing of God. Matthew Henry, he wrote, notes. It is the wisdom of those whom God has a controversy with to agree with him quickly while they are in the way before his fierce anger comes upon them. In a case of this nature, delays are highly dangerous and may be fatal. I kind of want to say to that, thanks, Captain Obvious. You know, I mean, it's kind of what you want to think. It's like, why would you keep fighting the Lord? It is the time to agree with him. That is our confessing to him. We're agreeing that we have sinned against him, and we seek to make it right by turning to him. So, folks, with this reality of judgment and the talk of it, Zephaniah thankfully doesn't leave us hanging, though. He points us directly to the only source of hope, the only hope of escape from the righteous and holy anger of the Lord. And it reminds me of the end of Psalm 2. 
So Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. What a beautiful verse. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. So then we come to verse 3. Seek the Lord. In those few words, Zephaniah makes clear here that the only adequate refuge from the consuming wrath of Yahweh may be found in Yahweh himself. Now, that is so counterintuitive to us, it's, it's hard to fathom. We, I, I doubt there's anyone in here who has the tendency to flee towards the person who has a beef with us or we have a beef with. We don't generally run to the person that we've messed up with, that we've offended or anything like that or that's offended us. That's, that's just not the way we do it. Quite often, our tact is to avoid the situation at all costs and hope it blows over. But that's not the way to respond to the Lord. Our only hope is to flee into His arms. I was reading Psalm 32 this morning, and it's one of David's two main psalms of confession. And Psalm 32, verses 6 and 7 says this, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Folks, the one who is our hiding place is the one we are to seek and to seek him with all of our heart. And when you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. So listen again to all of verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So three admonitions which again match what is really a threefold statement of before, before, before. And all of these admonitions of seek have that same imperative. It is that command, seek the Lord. And it forms kind of a, a bookend, a, a way of framing what we call an inclusio with chapter 1, verse 6, where the people there were described as those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. So seek the Lord. Listen, no other religion, no other religion says that. They all say, clean yourselves up. Do these steps. Do these seven steps. Achieve nirvana. You know, complete the law. Do all these things. Then maybe you can come to the Lord. And then maybe by faith, He might accept you. That's not Christianity to seek the Lord. Come to Him. It, it is come to God and He will make you righteous. One commentator said, the only way to flee from God is to flee to Him. I mean, you could go to Jonah and realize that you can't flee from God anyways. So flee to Him. 
Folks, this is the call to the humble, to the meek, to the bowed down. I will tell you this, you will not seek the Lord in your pride. You won't. You will not seek the Lord if you are seeking to elevate yourself. This is the call to those who trust in the Lord, who are humble, and who do His just commands, who believe that what the Creator of all things has told us is actually the best thing for us, that the Creator knows what's best for His creation. So we are to seek the Lord and to seek righteousness. And really, when he says seek the Lord and then he says seek righteousness, seek humility, there's, there's kind of a bit of a repetition because seeking the Lord is doing those things. So seeking righteousness here in this clarification, it's, it's more than seeking to be good. It's more than have a right standing before God. You know, too often we cut this short. Seek righteousness. Oh, okay, I have right standing with the Lord. I'm good. But Zephaniah uses the word seek for a reason. He gives the command. O. Palmer Robertson wrote, the concentration of the prophet on this particular term indicates his understanding that the destinies of life hinge more immediately on the commitment of the heart rather than on a feverish round of activity. Concreteness of action inevitably will follow, as that specific admonition to seek righteousness indicates, but the primacy in determining destiny goes to the solemn committal of the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. As I was studying this text, the whole thing got me thinking in a lot of various ways. What does it look like to respond to this admonition? What does it look like? You know, before, before it's too late, what does it look like to, to do this? How are we to respond to being called out not only for our sin, but for the sins of our nation? and probably more pertinent for the sins of the church, the sins of the people of God. Like I said, sins of indifference and division and pride, sins of conforming to culture, sins of partiality and racism. It really, in every direction, it's showing up. Sins of not caring about life all the way from the womb all the way to the tomb. Sins of self-fulfillment and passion over seeking purity and holiness. And folks, the list could go on and on. And I thought about one place in particular, and I'd like you to turn with me there because I'm going to read a decent bit. Daniel chapter 9. So grab your copy of God's Word, whether in an electronic form or whatever, and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's response here is amazing. He prayed. And where he prayed from was Babylon. Daniel was in exile. This is about 539 BC. So Judah went into exile in 586. 722, Israel had already gone. 
But Daniel's there. So Daniel chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read a good bit, and I want you to, to follow along. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. So already he's, he's looking to the character of the Lord. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, which I love that. So what, how did Zephaniah call out Judah? Shameless nation. Daniel says, to us belong open shame. As at the day, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He acknowledges the justice of God putting forth judgment and sending them into exile. Then he says, he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's a heart affected. That's a humble heart that sees not only his own sin, but the sins of his nation, of his people, of the people of God. And you saw him plead, it's not because of our righteousness, because we don't have any standing with you. 
It's because of your mercy and your grace. Folks, repentance is the first step. It's mourning. It's feeling shame for our sin, being appalled by our sin and the sins of the church and the nation, confessing them and seeking to do what is right. Falling upon the mercy of God, pursuing righteousness. And pursuing righteousness means that not not only do we have that right standing with the Lord, but we pursue meeting the demands of our relationship with God doing the right things in the right way as defined by God, not by society. It's going to require righteous actions, things which conform to God's ways and promote shalom, promote peace, working for justice and righteousness, helping those who are oppressed, who need help, the widow, the orphan. And even as I go through that, sometimes that just feels so overwhelming. What can I do, the pastor of a beautiful little church in north of Cincinnati? What can you do? Well, folks, what we can do, like you don't have to have a million followers on Twitter to make a difference. We can be beacons and light and places of refuge in our spheres of influence. And if I can love and serve you and lead you, and then you can love and serve others around you, and if pastors and churches would do that all across the nation, it would make a difference. It would be a groundswell revival in this land. That this land and this church desperately needs. So don't look so big. Look at your own life, the life of this church, and friendships and family. That's what God has called you to. You are not called to be president, ruler of the free world. You're called to live with faithfulness where God has put you. Folks, our being saved by grace can never lead to viewing that grace in a way that would convey it's cheap. Being saved by the grace of God must never lead to complacency. Okay, we need to seek righteousness, to to, to live those holy and righteous lives in our spheres. Listen to 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 14, "'As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance.'" But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish." We've been ransomed, we've been bought with a price for living a way that honors Him. So seek righteousness and seek humility. And folks, nothing will foster humility more in your life than, lives than, than an understanding of your own sin and the work of Christ for us. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, we read, Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we know He's our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification, and it's not of us, we can't boast in ourselves. We boast in Him. The humble are those who seek God, who do His will, who keep His commands, who are utterly dependent upon Him. They know that they are children of God, approved in Christ only by grace, and that the love of God for them enables them to serve and to suffer for His sake and for the sake of His people. Then the last words of Zephaniah, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Hidden. That language is all over Scripture, hidden or covered. It, it, it's to be atoned for. It's to be covered. It's to be safe in the day of trouble. But why does he use the word perhaps? Right? You give this massive call and then you're like, well, maybe. That's not what he's communicating is a well, maybe. He's not expressing doubt of God's grace and goodness, but he is helping correct the people's presumption that just because they're the people of God, God will do this for them. No, you need to, to humble yourself before the Lord. They needed to hear this reminder. And this made me think of what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. Here's just a few of them from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Folks, let us be those who feel our sin, who know our sin, who mourn. It's not the proud, but the meek. It's the poor in spirit, the merciful, the pure in heart who see God. Those are descriptions of people who have had the grace of God deeply affect their hearts and their lives. So seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Seek Christ. He is the one who is in himself gentle and lowly. That's how he describes himself. And he covered our lack of gentleness and lowliness at the cross. So this admonition, folks, is a glorious display of the grace and mercy of God. He deeply loves his people, and so he warns them. Come before it's too late. Calls them to right living. It's it's not a call to clean yourselves up and be accepted. It's a call to know that you are accepted by grace and live in light of that. It's a call to seek, to repent, to mourn. It's the message of Scripture. Turn to Him, find refuge for your souls, but also walk with Him. And it reminds me of this final verse, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise. And we ask that you would teach us humility and righteousness, that you would call us to yourself.
more and more. That we would know you, that we would love you. Lord, help us to know our sin, to feel our sin, to, to know the shame of that, but to know the life and righteousness that we have in Christ. Pour out your grace upon us, Lord. Conform us more and more to your image. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.